Welcome to a special episode of Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. I'm your host, Randy Ray. And today is going to be a really different and kind of like I mentioned earlier, a special episode. I have a couple of special guests uh, with me today. Um, as always with me, I have the president of West Texas A&M, Dr. Walter Windler. And our special guest today is Texas A&M University System Board of Regents Vice Chairman, Elaine Mendoza. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. I've been looking forward to today. In 1990... In 1990, West Texas State University became part of the Texas A&M University system. And I was living in Tennessee at the time, and my family called, and I had friends call me and, and tell me that that had happened. And, and just to be perfectly honest, I, I had misgivings about it. I didn't know what was going to happen to my university. I had always bled maroon. I was a buffalo uh, at heart. But after working here 15 years, I can tell you, I truly believe that it has been a fantastic move for the university. So uh, just on behalf of people that work at WT and uh, have graduated from WT, thank you for all you do for us. Well, you're kind and generous, and I'm so happy to hear that indeed you came back to your home and you felt it was still home. Um, it is. That's what it's all about is each of the component universities of, te of the Texas A&M system are unique and need to stay unique. Yeah, I, I, I tell people, I came back to WT in 2002, and boy, just how the campus has completely changed since then. Since I left in 1984, I come back, and it, man, it's, it's almost like a different place, but it still has the same personality. So it, it's really great. So, uh, um, Vice Chairman Mendoza, I, I just want to ask you, what is a regent, and what does a regent do? Okay. Well, um, depending on you ask, it could be bad or good. I don't know. But uh, regents are appointed by the governor uh, for a nine, or excuse me, for a six-year term. He, he, the governor of the state, appoints uh, nine members, three every two years, every biennium. We are charged with the fiduciary responsibilities of the system. We are charged with policy setting at the system level. In truth, we employ one person, and that's the chancellor of the system. Everybody else works for so the you, chancellor. So you find the chancellor? Yeah. You, the regents find the chancellor? Yes, absolutely. We hire and fire the chancellor. Um, we also have a responsibility to uh, the, the taxpayers of the state um, in order to invest those state dollars the best we can and mostly to ensure that every student that comes through the Texas A&M system is prepared to succeed in the workforce, in the military, or whatever uh, occupation of choice that they have. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about being a regent? Wow. Um, the students yeah. focusing on enabling their dreams to come true, uh, focusing on making sure that our institutions are indeed putting all the support systems together, as well as a top-notch faculty as well as a top-notch staff in order to uh, enable our students to be successful. Yeah. So your education is in aerospace engineering, That's is that correct. right? Mm -hmm. How has that served you as being a regent? It's about uh, analytics. It's about um, being able to solve problems. It's about pinpointing areas um, that need more attention and f making sure that we are focused in the right areas in order to make sure that we're delivering a, on the promise of higher ed. Yeah. Well, we are a regional institution. Let me ask you this. What are the roles of the Texas A&M University System regional institution? You know, we've already said each one is unique. 
And through that uniqueness uh, comes the ability to serve students in that area, in that community. It's about access. Texas is a huge, huge state. There's no way our, all of our, our uh, young people can gravitate to one, two, three, four campuses. We have mm-hmm. to have access. It's about ensuring that we solve problems and have the workforce, i.e. our students that graduate, to enable communities to flourish by, in, by making sure that they have the capacity and, and, and the knowledge and the skills to, if they choose, stay in that community and bring it to the next level, no matter what industry is in that region. It's also about economic development for the community, having right. folks like yourself and President Windler, except all the faculty and staff that are here uh, making a home, uh, building the community up. That enables a lot of growth and whatnot. Then focused areas in research and, and technology that um, may not matter to others in the country or in the state, but are very pertinent to this region um, is, is a focus of each one of our, our institutions. Yeah, and I know Dr. Windler uh, totally agrees with you uh, about that. He has visited the top 26 counties in the Texas Panhandle. And uh, Dr. Windler, speak to that a little bit. How We talk about that a lot on our podcast, but how is WT truly the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right, uh, Randy. And uh, Regent Mendoza's view on this is, uh, and somebody would say, listener might say, well, he's just saying that because he's sitting there next to him. But the fact of the matter is, we are absolutely committed to serving the Texas Panhandle first and what our needs are here because we can replicate all sorts of things, but we cannot replicate geography. And what is here? Uh, the nature of the people, the industry, and the businesses that have grown up here, they need to be tended to very carefully because they're important, and they're an important part of Texas. Uh, Most people may know this, but 35% of the beef consumed in the United States is produced within 100 miles of Canyon, Texas, at where we are. Um, it, that's an important industry. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of oil and gas that's still produced up here. Um, if you look a little bit south of us and look at what's going on in Midland, in Odessa, mm-hmm. I drove down to Midland not long ago, and I I was through a place where they had a, a kind of a community parking lot for all the drilling rigs that were out there, yeah. and they were bussing. I could see it. They were bussing these. Um, uh, oil field workers back and forth from one big parking lot to probably 10 or 12 companies poking holes in the ground out there. This is an important part of the state. And uh, there's a culture here that has great value in uh, in West Texas. And, uh, you know, I, we talk about, the, you know, what our, what our engineering programs and business programs, our ag programs, what they do for this part of the world. But the fact of the matter is there is higher quality uh, symphony, opera, ballet in Amarillo, Texas than in many cities two or three times the size of Amarillo. And that's for one reason, West Texas A&M University. We produce those people right here in this building, in, this in the building. college you're part yeah. of right in here. In this $32 million building that the A&M system helped, helped us build. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they have been. And by the way, that is, uh, I'm glad you, you, that uh, you and Regent Mendoza addressed that because our relationship is very powerful. We're, we're planning uh, next year 
will be the uh, 2020 will be the 30th anniversary of our membership in the region and uh, we're trying to get I'm, I actually had lunch with Boone Pickens not long ago trying to get him to come up here and celebrate that thing I, I don't know if he will or he won't but anyway I would love to have him come up for that because he was the chairman of the board when that happened and the chairman of West Texas State University board so yeah let me ask you both this should a regional institution try and serve beyond their region you want me to go first? I'll, I'll go first, uh, Vice Chair. I, uh, <clears throat> I think what happens is that when you serve the region well, even if you encase that region with, say, a border wall so that people couldn't get in or out, the word will somehow ooze out of the region if it's being well served. Mm -hmm. Two-legged marketeers will do the job for you. So if we serve people in the Texas panhandle well, people in Houston and Dallas and San Antonio are going to find out about it. Some parents may want their uh, their their um, recent high school graduates, for example, in an environment that's different than an urban or suburban center. And this is, uh, as I told a young lady from Katy, Texas one day, just after I got here, happened to be an African-American woman, I asked her, how, how are you getting along up here? She said, well, it's different. And I said, but are you enjoying it? She said, well, I do, but it's so different. And I said, well, you know, you can actually treat this as an international study experience and you never had to cross the state line mm -hmm. <laughs> because it is such a different culture up here. And I, I, think, I think when we do our job well up here, the news will travel. We'll but that. first and foremost, we have to serve locally. Do you feel the same Absolutely. way? The Absolutely. The core of the institution and the core of... Uh, the priorities that that a they aim to to meet and exceed um, should be the the unique part of the campus. But to bring in others um, from outside of this world is a good thing. Those that are coming, like a young lady from Katy coming in uh, to this institution, to this community, needs to learn about this institution and learn from uh, the folks here and vice versa. There's, there's just so much more uh, cultural exchange and robustness and understanding each other that, that yield great benefits than to say, no, just people from this region. That's not, yeah. not going to work. No, I totally agree with you. Randy, if, if I can interject just one other thing, and I'm, I've told myself I'm not going to talk too much because I usually talk too much, <laughs> but I do want to say this. You know, we just started our new doctorate in, in education, and it's focused on small school systems. And there was some, not real pushback, but people said, well, gosh, we're going to run out of small people in small school systems. Well, 20% of the United States exists in small school systems, K-12 schools that often get overlooked for the major metropolitan areas. And the fact of the matter is, we took in our first cohort in this, in this brand new program in January. We, we thought we would have 15 students. We had 36. Uh, we thought all of them would be from Texas. They're not. We have people from Central Florida because people in Central Florida recognize that the the, um, the education programs at Florida State and University of Florida, those are geared towards major metropolitan and suburban regions. What we've got here is a, is an approach to training administrators. Uh, and school leaders that's attentive to the needs of people in smaller communities. I, I had one uh, uh, um, superintendent that I had talked with. He had a pre-K through 12 school with 140 kids in it. So it's just about 10 students per year. And he told me he had been in the household of every student that went to that school. 
Now, he didn't have to go to 140 because they're obviously siblings and so on. He maybe went to half that many. Yeah. But the bottom line is he knew those families. Who, he knew where they came from. And if we can serve small schools like that in our region, you know, we had this effort just recently and reached out to all the 1A and 2A schools in the state of Texas, and we're getting a response on that. I'm getting emails from principals in places afar that say, gosh, we really appreciate this. We've got people that we think WT would serve well. So I think that it reinforces um, Regent Mendoza's uh, point, you know, that when we serve well, it'll be a value to others. Yeah, you know? I do too. Anyway. I do too. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Vice Chairman Mendoza about some of her passions. All right, we'll be back in just a second. West Texas A&M University is a student body that learns by doing and is always seeking opportunity. Talented and accomplished faculty that teach both in and out of the classroom. Programs that provide timeless information and meet the challenges of today's world. Facilities rich in technology as well as WT history. Now is the time to strengthen connections and open doors for tomorrow's leaders. Share your experience. Share your heritage. Share your pride. Welcome back to Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. Uh, today we're talking to Vice Chairman Elaine Mendoza, who is one of the uh, System Board of Regents, and she's paid us a visit today. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a couple of things that you're passionate about. One thing is the advancement of women and minorities in engineering and technology and science. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Why are you passionate about that? Thank you for asking. Well, um, no one could have predicted how much technology would really change things. Um, we knew it was coming, but the extent to which it is rapidly changing things and, and, and making the world, in some cases, a better place, in some cases, more challenging. Um, and if you take a look at the workforce, the current workforce in science, engineering, and technology, we are going to have an aging out. And mm -hmm. the numbers coming in are not as much as those that are, are aging out. And with technology being more integrated into our daily lives, it's real important that we have more of that workforce coming in, especially our young, bright talent. If you take a look at the population, if we were to segment the, the demographics of those that are aging out, it's much different um, than those that are coming in or the population of the 18 to 22 year olds right now. And if we were able to get more women and underrepresented minorities into science and technologies, there would be plenty um, enough to, 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 to uh, fill the seats that are going to be vacated, right. as well as even expand it more. We just haven't had traditionally those demographics entering science, engineering, and technology. So, so it's real important, not to mention, everybody brings such unique perspectives and in order to solve big problems and in order to address and make a difference um, issues of the day, we need all the brain power we can get from those different perspectives to come up with the best solution. And just as we spoke about WT ha having an influx of folks from all over the state and yeah. or outside the state makes um, for a better place, the same thing with solving problems. Diversity. Yeah. Absolute yeah. diversity of thought, diversity of perspective, diversity from experience, all all culminates in a very in a much better solution. Well, WT definitely agrees with you. Our dean of engineering. Oh yeah. Uh, Dr. Emily Hunt is a female and does a fantastic job. We had her on the podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, just fascinating to hear her story. 
Dr. Winder, would you speak to that too? Uh, well, how does WT back her up on that? Well, I think here, and again, I'm going to go back to the panhandle. Uh, the panhandle is a certain toughness. There's a tradition here and so on uh, that is it's, it, in many ways conventional, but there's also a certain toughness. And I think when a person can do the job, those are the people that rise to the top. I would say that Regent Mendoza is, is an example of that. And I think there are many females and minorities in various disciplines and in this part of the world, if you can do the job, that's what matters. It's a kind of pragmatism about performance. I call it performance pragmatism. You do the job, you get the job. You know, that's what causes people to advance. What I appreciate so much about Dr. Hunt um, is that she, um, as a matter of fact, I, I, I presented a, a copy of one of the books to, to uh, Regent Mendoza on uh, reaching out to children, because that's where it has to start. Um, in a previous life, I went to a community one time that was a very poor rural community. And everybody there, the young men aspired to be, this is an oversimplification, but it'll make the point, aspired to be a truck driver. The women aspired to be hairdressers. That was the community. It was a tiny community and their aspirations. And not that there's, those are both dignified ways to make a living. There's no question about that. But there is, when you get a group of people together, there is a much more uh, sundry mix of aspirations. And I think that's what happens when we bring different kinds of people into different disciplines. In, a, in an odd way, our nursing program is increasingly becoming more male than it was. And males bring different perspectives of nursing to, uh, to the nursing program. Well, I think for, for many years, uh, uh, for, for decades, I would say, you don't, uh, young people, back to Dr. Windler's point of starting early is, is exactly right. Sometimes you can't dream it if you didn't know, you don't know it exists. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. think about how many young golfers got in the game because Tiger Woods was there. Yeah. Um, also for females, studies show especially in middle school, middle school girls aspire to do something that makes a difference. And they don't see science and engineering um, fields that people make a difference in, although <laughs> that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And so there was not a lot of communication. And the stereotypes of scientists and engineers perpetuate that. Mm -hmm. um, if you take a look at, um, you know, draw a scientist contest that was held nationwide to middle schoolers, you have a very typical picture of what a scientist looks like. Young women, um, in particular, don't want to aspire to be this recluse or et cetera, the stereotype, um, until we start breaking those, uh, like Dr. Hunt. Yeah. What a great example. Then young people will know they can aspire to do things, and we have to incorporate the, the, the statement and, and the truth that engineers and scientists make a difference in people's lives, can make things better. Um, so so it's, it's real important that we do this. Um, I totally agree. And I'm really proud of the fact that over here in the media communication department in, at West Texas A&M, we are very diverse, and I love that. Um, in fact, our two student leaders at our campus radio station are both female. Our, manage, our general manager and our program director, both female. Uh, the general manager is, is Hispanic and the program director is African-American. I love that. I love that we are so diverse over here. Which yeah, I think it makes us stronger. I agree with you. It's, it's like biodiversity. It's, uh, it does create strength. 
the other thing is that it breaks a preconception about West Texas. You know, yeah. that they're just a bunch of old guys, you know, cattle ranchers and oil men and so on and so forth. And there's some of that, but I mean, and that's not necessarily all bad. It's just that it breaks that preconception. I still say it's performance pragmatism. You get the job done. You can run the radio station. You're running the radio station. That's the way it works. Yeah. Let me ask you just real briefly. Um, another thing you're passionate about is healthcare and economic growth in rural areas. Can you speak to that just just a little bit? Well, I, I just don't see how you decouple um, educational attainment um, away from having access to great health care. Uh, you know, it starts with maternal care of, mm-hmm. of the mother uh, in pregnancy, and it continues on throughout the life of an individual. I mean, if you're if you're sick, not feeling well, if you have an impairment of, of any sort that is none identified as you're young, that puts barriers on you. How do you learn? That's exactly right. So we've got to find a way to eliminate that barrier. Um, And being able to uh, diagnose problems early, be able to have a maintenance program. I I can't get over how much millions of dollars are spent by industry to maintain equipment. They're earning assets, whether it's a robot, a, a, a drill press, I mean, you name it. Industry pays a lot of dollars in maintenance, which is nothing but well a wellness program for their equipment. Mm-hmm. Imagine the power of being able to ensure that our best and brightest resource, bar none, the human being, has that kind of investment with respect to wellness, with, with making sure that we are well, quote unquote, maintained and mm-hmm. so forth. The power that can be unleashed is tremendous. You can't decouple access to health care from educational attainment from the very beginning. Well, I, I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about that. Yeah, I'm very passionate about that. I appreciate that. It is tradition that uh, on all of our podcasts that I throw a curveball. So I'm going to throw you one. You ready? I, I hope so. This is not too tough. Okay. Um, let's, let's think back to 12-year-old Elaine Mendoza. What was your dream job back then? To be an astronaut. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. you ever think that you would be a board of regent a member, uh, especially vice chairman? Uh, not at all. Then when I was twelve, I didn't. I didn't have. I, a clue I didn't even know they exist. Yeah. Right. Even at, when I went to A and M, I didn't know there was a board yeah. of regents. But <laughs> um, my mother was a lifelong is a lifelong educator. She just retired. Um, and educational attainment changed radically the economic situation of, of our family because my parents put themselves through school while we were going to school. Um, and uh, there's just, I, I, I just feel like education is the great equalizer. It's the great enabler. It, it, it ensures democracy and the democratic process by getting folks engaged in, in community and so forth. So I felt, um, at least myself, that being able to participate and volunteer, I wasn't blessed with the education gene that these great educators have, Um, but I could do something in parallel to enable them to do their thing. Um, So, uh, you know, no, I did not know there was a Board of Regents, (laughs) um, nor did I ever dream that I I would be on the board, Um, but 
Uh, I think I figured this out. I think I figured this out. What if, I think this would make you happy, what if the Texas A&M University system put a regional institution on Mars. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I so would do you, that. Both, you could I would have your, to visit there and, yeah, and do a podcast, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So maybe we can get that done in that the future sometime. That would be nice. Sometime. Well, it has been just a treat to talk to you today. It's been and, my uh, thank privilege. You, thank you for visiting our campus, and thank you thank for taking you. care of us. Uh, Dr. Winler, as always, good to talk to you, sir. Same, Randy. I appreciate you, and I'm so thankful. West Regent Texas Mendoza. A&M is very important to our system in our state, and uh one of our duties, as I mentioned to you early on, is to deliver back to the taxpayer. What a better way than to hold up and ensure that West Texas A&M continues on its growth, continues on its success, and builds upon all the alumni that you all have doing great things. Uh, that's how we pay the taxpayers back. So thank you. Well, on that note, we will thank you, our listeners, for joining us today for Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. Be sure and join us again next time.